This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. My guest today is Peter Land as we start our fourth session of discussing Pope Francis's Let Us Dream. Hi, Peter. How are you doing today? Hey, Malcolm. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. And um, yeah, look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, it's always great to discuss uh, this book with you. It's a wonderful book. Glad you can join me for another episode here. Uh, in this case, we're still discussing some themes from chapter one, uh, closing out chapter one, moving into chapter two. And one theme in particular that we wanted to discuss is uh, Pope Francis talks about how we view the past. Um, and that's a pretty fraught topic socially and politically today, how we uh, view our past. And going to start out with a quote here. So he's already talked about, you know, the value in the protests in 2020. And, but he says that there was also something that, that worried him. And he says, some wanted to project onto the past, the history they would like to have now, which requires them to cancel what came before. But it should be the other way around. For there to be true history, there must be memory which demands that we acknowledge the past already trod, even if they were shameful. Amputating history can make us lose our memory, which is one of the few remedies we have against repeating the mistakes of the past. A free people is a people that remembers, is able to own its history rather than deny it, and learns its best lessons. And then he discusses the biblical take on history in which the people of Israel are called on to remember uh, the bad things, the things they were ashamed of, and that that should make them more grateful to uh, God who brought them through it all. And then Pope Francis continues, the ignominy of our past, in other words, is part of what and who we are. I recall this history not to praise past oppressors, but to honor the witness and greatness of soul of the oppressed. There is great danger in remembering the guilt of others in, ordering to proclaim, in order to proclaim my own innocence. Of course, those who pulled down statues did so to draw attention to the wrongs of the past and to deny honor to those who committed those wrongs. But when I judge the past through the lens of the present, seeking to purge the past of its shame, I risk committing other injustices, reducing a person's history to the wrong they did. And then a little further on, he says, Of course, statues have always come down and been replaced by others when what they stand for no longer speaks to a new generation. But this should be done through consensus building by debate and dialogue rather than acts of force. That dialogue must aim to learn from the past rather than to judge it through the eyes of the present. So there's a lot in there, um, a lot of uh, deep topics being you know, addressed in just a few paragraphs here. And I think for me, one of the first things that, um, that jumps out right away is that too often one of the reasons we can focus on wrongs in the past is paradoxically to avoid having to deal with wrongs in the present. Um, because it's e like it's easy to um, criticize a historical figure who is dead, uh, even, even if they deserve it, they can't answer back. Like, they're no longer dangerous. You know, like, those statues are not going to fight back. Those history textbooks are not going to fight back. There's no, um, there's no danger in criticizing the past. And I've seen, like... Um, one example of this being used hypocritically is when large corporations that currently use slave labor today in the modern world um, put out statements condemning the racism of the past and thereby try to divert attention from the current slavery that they're actually perpetrating. That it can make us, by, by focusing too much attention on, on the sins of the past, it can actually distract us from our own sins that we're complicit in today. Well, thanks, Malcolm. There's really a number of great points here in this passage that you brought up. And I'm really thinking about the great contrast between Israel and its spirituality and the modern world and its lack thereof, or rather the rejection of their, the need for God, where in Israel's case, memory was so important to remember the history of God's intervention in their, in their life as a people. 
and to remember also like their own rebelliousness, their own, um, you know, their own disobedience, their own failure to kind of follow through on the covenant of God. And so this memory that God um, provides us with in which he kind of called to their attention and really um, wanted them to acknowledge year after year through feast days and things like that through their own traditions, um, like the Passover, you know, serve to really, I think, humble them as a people, recall their roots. And like you said, um, serve to make them grateful and, you know, there, there's so many things in, in our memory, like how it informs us in the present. I, I remember, I don't know if we talked about this, but um, how God commands them to welcome the stranger and the pilgrim because they were once strangers and pilgrims wandering in the desert, that they were once oppressed in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh. And so that they too then should welcome the outcast and serve to provide hospitality for those in need. So that all stems from their memory of God's action in their lives. And what I'm, the danger I guess I'm seeing in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the modern world is like, A, we're not, maybe sometimes there's an overemphasis on certain things that people do not um, agree with in our culture, like Christianity, for example, like there's an overemphasis of maybe the mistakes of Christianity and, and now trying to remove it from our world, which doesn't really make any sense because it's served, it has served such a foundation for our, our culture and our, you know, who we are as a people. So I, you know, I'm just, I guess, thinking about this also in a personal way, like how important it is for us to remember, gosh, our failures in life. And not to dwell on them, not to um, be continually discouraged by them, but to remember God's mercy and our weakness and our need. I think a lot of this is our, our need for redemption. You know, history calls to mind our need for redemption and that God works through the failures and brokenness of the human people. He, you, um, you didn't quote this, this passage, but one of the paragraphs, he says, he talks about Jesus and how the um, genealogy of Jesus in the Gospels contains a few characters who are not saints at all, but that Jesus does not reject his people or his history, but takes them up and teaches us to do likewise, not canceling the shame of the past, but acknowledging it as it is and bringing the best out of it. I mean, I think that's, that's God working with us, with humanity and Gosh, is that not what we need to do today? Is a acknowledge our, our the full scope of um, our brokenness in in our world and our, our our mistakes of the past, but then to to use that and go forward. You know, as as you were talking about you know being willing to carry the burden of the past, and it is a burden. I mean, it's a it's a a shame often as a Catholic. You know, we have to then suddenly be answering for things that we didn't do that were even done before us as an American. We have to answer for things that were done. And I think there are a lot of different ways to try to escape that burden. And they map onto certain flawed um, ways of looking at community itself. We've talked in many of the interviews with community leaders that People often join a community thinking they're going to escape the messiness of life. And that's the opposite of the truth. What we instead find in joining a community is that we are exposed for what we are because we're in close proximity to people. Other people are exposed for what they are. And we have to carry that burden of one another with humility and with charity. And... Uh, rather than rather than suddenly escaping, you know, into some kind of ideal. And when that happens, um, you know, like then the community becomes uh, false, a failure. So, so one way is to deny the burden exists at all. Another way is to try to avoid any connection with anybody because then you will never have to carry someone else's burden. If you're not, if you're an individual who just has your own relationship with God in the, in the religious sphere, you're not connected to any ecclesiastical group, 
um, then you won't have to answer for the failings of any institution. If you're, you know, if you're rooted, rootless, not attached to any community, you'll never have to bear the burden of the failings of that community. Mm-hmm. And but both of these expressions in the personal realm are flawed. We need community and we need to acknowledge the burden that the community is going to inevitably lay on us. And then in this reference to history, uh, too often, I think, when people say that we need to remember our past, what they mean is a certain sanitized version of the past that they uh, approve of. What they really mean by that word is they say we must approve of the past of our nation or even in some cases of our church. But that's not it at all. Remembering uh, will always include a certain amount of shame. We're in, in a fallen world in which all too often we're going to have, we and our communities will have failed, but it's exactly remembering that. It's remembering it as it was, as failures, and thereby learning from those failures, repenting of those failures. Yeah, I mean, as Jesus says, or no, St. Paul says, we're called to carry each other's burdens, for that is the law of Christ. And like you said, like in community, we we're forced with we're forced to acknowledge that we're forced to acknowledge the weakness and misery of other people as well as our own, and even more so our own. And I think that's so important is like kind of the vulnerability of people in need exposing our own vulnerability, but also inviting us to be to allow ourselves to be dependent, to allow ourselves to be cared for, to allow ourselves to be loved by another, um, just as we we are called to do that for others. So I think community really, like, like you're just saying, is um, a great antidote. Uh, it helps us to kind of be a part of a living history. You know, even if it's just this local community, we're a part of something greater than ourselves and we can't ignore or deny the reality before us. I think that, you know, another danger, of course, when we're so self-isolated, living individualistic lives is that we can very much pick and choose what the, the history we, we want for our lives, for our country. And we can reinforce that because we're kind of, especially technologically, you know, exposing ourselves to that which, which we believe in, that which we agree with. I mean, just take, for example, the, the media outlets, um, Fox News and CNN just being very simple, but, you know, examples of liberals and conservatives kind of like watching the news that reinforces their mentality, their kind of viewpoints on the world. So, um, yeah, gosh, I think there's uh, a lot going on here that, you know, it's like, how do we how do we kind of invest and take ownership of of the world around us? You know, and, and and enter into it, enter into the messiness. That's something that Pope Francis really invites us to, you know, is is not, especially for young people to go in and make a mess, but um, not to be afraid of the messiness, not to be afraid of what we might see, what we might have to be faced with, um, and allowing allowing ourselves to allow history to become like the full scope of history, what we're not aware of, other people's histories as well as our own. To, um, to change how we see the world. You know, when you were talking about the kind of the siloed news outlets, and I think that's also, yes, where community comes in, as you said, because a true community is not based on holding all the same viewpoints. Right. It has to have a certain, a certain amount of shared vision. But as uh, Tim Keller said, there will be people with different political ideologies in your community. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it isn't a good one. It's going to produce tension. At the same time, you're going to be confronted with things that you can't, um, that you might otherwise escape from, that you might otherwise uh, never notice, never take the trouble to seek out different perspectives, different personalities, or I was thinking about just recently uh, an episode that hasn't been published yet. I was talking with a community member who said, um, the thing about community is you end up becoming good friends with those you would have never chosen as like to be, to be your best friends. They wouldn't have been your first choice. Mm-hmm. They weren't similar enough to you. And, but through community, you end up, they end up becoming your best friends, the most important people in your life. And that's good because 
uh, individual choice is the opposite of culture, is the opposite of community, is the opposite of being part of this shared memory um, that we're talking about here. And then uh, in something you said earlier, it struck me when you said that the reason that the people of Israel were supposed to remember was to make them merciful to people in the present. Because all of us, if we're honest, our memory is going to be that we failed and that we were forgiven. And if we're always remembering that we individually and we as community have failed and been forgiven and that everything we have is something that is not deserved, then that will make us less likely to pass harsh judgment on those in the present, those around us who have failed, those in the present who are in need. Um, If we remember where we came from and that mercy of God, that will help us to look with mercy than on others. Whereas by contrast, if we only remember a sanitized version that you know, only presents our successes, or conversely, if we cut ourselves off as if we had nothing to do with the evils of the past and, and reject it, then neither of those stances will make us merciful. In the one case, we'll see only good things in our past and think how wonderful we are. In another sense, we'll cut ourselves off from the past, and therefore we can still see ourselves as wonderful and therefore unable to have that merciful outlook that's only open to those who have been forgiven. Yeah, just from a personal perspective, uh, Malcolm, when I traveled across the country as a pilgrim, you know, I was often very much, well, almost entirely dependent on the hospitality of people who welcomed me. And I didn't know who would welcome me from one town to the next and what I would be given. But as I was welcomed and as I was given hospitality, gosh, I was recognizing the great providence of God and the kindness of others to be providing for me. And it was easy to see, wow, this is a great gift. Like everything I'm being given because it's not mine. I'm traveling, you know, in a, as a poor person in a way, um, trusting that God will give me help through people. It, it's, it was so humbling and so inspiring, you know, and I, those, those moments of being welcomed into somebody's home and be given, being given a, a home cooked meal and a place to sleep for the night like that, that I can't forget. Like, how could I forget those moments and how could I not do otherwise? And not that I'm, I, I, I'm always perfect in this, but when I see somebody who also is in need, I'm reminded of how I was given so many gifts and, and, you know, in a similar way, like how I've been forgiven all my many faults, you know, from my early, my early years, my wandering years. Um, so it's just on that personal level, like how memory serves to, um, seek and do God's will in the present moment. It reminds us it's, it's such a blessing that God gives us. And I think sometimes even our guardian angels, right? They, they are reminding us of, of things that we've received so as to not grow proud in any way, but to stay humble before God and to treat our brothers and sisters with the utmost love and respect. You know, as so many saints have said, like when we when we come across a poor person or somebody knocking on our door, we should really see Christ incarnate in that person. I mean, he says so himself in the gospel um, that anyone, you know, who gives even a cup of water to one of these least brothers or sisters of mine, you know, has done it to me. Something along those lines. I don't know if I got that right. But um, yeah, I mean, like what? What a blessing we have when when uh, there's this opportunity to serve Christ in another person. So that's just one point. And then the second point that affected me in my life was um, encountering the mem- the history of other people's very different from my own and their broken, poor circumstances. You know, uh, in college, there was a lot of opportunity for service trips, service immersion trips. And in those trips, and I've talked about this before, but just meeting people from really like backgrounds so different from my own and learning about their history and where they came from and how, like in a way, our histories are interconnected in, in some level. You know, it's, it's not like anybody's history is really isolated from that of the whole of humanity. And my heart going out in certain ways to how poorly these people have been treated, like the Native Americans, for example, you know, like what they've gone through in our country is really tragic. Now it's not, I don't think it's all one person's fault, but 
so we need to acknowledge that. Like, wow, we have we are in some ways have inherited a world that is um, inherently unequal, and our own ancestors are are a part of that, are part of the reason for that. You know, we we've the conquistadors, you know, the colonizers, and what they've how they took advantage of of this world. It's something we should be aware of. And it's not that we need to reject that part of the history like we're talking about, like Pope Francis is saying, but it, it can serve to to humble us and and to try to make amends for the wrongs of the past. You know, like we're if we if we don't do anything about it, we're we're guilty of the, the sin of our fathers. You know, if we just rest tacitly, like agree, like enjoy the fruits of their of their quote unquote um you know, misdeeds and um, their victory, you know, how, what they would see as a victory, then then I think we're, you know, we're taking advantage of, we're continuing to take advantage of those, of those wrongs from the past. No, that's, that's so very true. And um, I think it was Basil the Great who said that if you dig back into it, all wealth is unjust for just this reason. Mm. It like there is no way that any individual is going to find themselves with clean hands in what they possess. Yeah. And that means that, um, you know, uh, what does Christ say? Make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon, uh, which by which he means give it to the poor. And that's the only way to avoid condemnation for holding it. But yes, obviously, all of us were the indirect beneficiaries of shocking evil that occurred. And if we, you know, it's one thing to condemn an easy thing, perhaps it's another very difficult thing to uh, live out that condemnation of that evil in one's life. And, and even it's like, there's those great societal evils, but even on a lesser level, I mean, I think all the time about how try as I, I might, there's very little way to avoid um, profiting by the work of people in sweatshops and exploited migrant workers harvesting our food. Almost anything you buy, um, the reason it's so cheap and you can get so much of it for so little is because someone else was abused. And of course, I, I think it's critical to try to avoid that. I We try to not buy anything from countries that are entirely lacking in labor protections, China, Bangladesh. Um, but, you know, even much of our food, which we have to buy, um, is going to be involving some amount of exploitation. And so then it's what we do with that uh, knowledge, both the historical and the present. And, um, you know, like you were saying, remembering our own past faults. And, and one thing that's interesting for me, you know, it's it's easy to become angry at people who disagree with you, who you think are wrong. And that's kind of a funny thing about human beings, because in one sense, if someone's wrong, we should be sorry for them, right? Like they don't have access to the truth that we've been given access to. And, you know, you know, too bad for them, you know, like they're missing out on something, but it's, it's easy to get angry with an intellectual opponent, uh, particularly if you think that intellectual opponent is not behaving very nicely. Um, and for myself to remember that if I today met myself from 10 years ago, I would disagree heartily with that past self, um, that I held views that I now consider to be wrong and even dangerous. And like to, to remember then, as you said, like you weren't always right. You didn't always have it all together. And how that should then shape our outlook on everyone else. And then as a country, you know, like if, if we feel that we as a nation or as a culture have everything right and always have, then obviously we won't be um, we won't be able to enter into the kind of dialogue and fraternity that Pope Francis is emphasizing all through his documents. And I think one, you know, like one point, too, that he talks about, he talks about not judging the past by current standards. And that almost sounds uh, relativistic. I mean, aren't the, the standards are always the same. And that's true. The standards always are the same. But in one sense, God is going to judge each of us by what we were given. And that includes, you know, 
our health, our money, like those of us who have good health and abundant resources are going to be judged to a higher standard. Those of us who are given the fullness of the truth in the Catholic faith are going to be judged to a higher standard by what we were given, that, that privileges come with responsibility. And that at certain points in the past, it was perhaps harder to see certain truths. So the question should be, what did this individual do with what was given? Did they, to some extent, transcend the flaws of their era? Or, as in some cases, did they actually sink below the level of their era? Were they, even at their time, perhaps, um, considered to be um, not what what should have been? And so it makes a difference then in how we judge eras, um, how we judge individuals in those eras, I think. I think that's what he's getting at when he's talking about judging uh, the past with the perspective of today. Well, and just to revisit something you said there, Malcolm, um, about, um, well, other people, you know, and their thoughts. I think it's, it's, it's also important to remember that everyone has a story to share. Everyone is made in the image and likeness of God and has the potential to become a saint glorified in heaven. With that in mind, you know, my, what I've discovered is that I can really learn something from everyone. Uh, you know, if I, I'm not saying everybody's right in all that they say, but that whatever people are saying, it's coming from somewhere. Um, although it might be different in just in like the purely intellectual philosophical realm in which a lot of ideas don't really touch the ground. But when it, when people are speaking from experience or from um, what they've, what they've learned from over time, like there's so much value in that and, and love in letting that be heard and received. It's, it's really a, a charity, you know, to, to welcome another person's thought and, and to like try to find points of common ground, points of agreement. Um, and, and even just to listen and, and be like, wow, well, I'm not sure if this is right or wrong. Maybe I don't need to know if it's right or wrong, but just like allow a person to, to express themselves. And, and again, I don't think that means like departing from what we understand um, to be true and the, and the teaching of the church, which uh, we believe to be true. But I do think it, it means like other people can shed light on aspects of the truth that we may, we may not be aware of or we may be a little bit blind to. Um, and I think a good example of that is just like Eastern, Eastern Oriental culture and, and spirituality. Like they have a lot to really share with us and shed light on in our own tradition. I mean, I think they really can expand it in a lot of different ways. So um, I also just wanted to, I don't know if we could continue moving on here, Malcolm, but there was uh, in chapter one, this really important point that I think Pope Francis brings up about like the environment that we live in. He says, we, we can't go on thinking we can be healthy in a world that is sick. You know, how important it is to work for a healthy world and seeing the world as a gift and something to uh, something that we are stewards of, um, but that it's, it's meant to be something that we cherish and care for and help to make beautiful. And one of his thoughts is, he, one of his lines here is that beauty is the entryway to ecological awareness. And I, you know, it just makes me think of the value and the, the important place of beauty in our world, especially in a world that's increasingly just mechanistic, um, technological, uh, focused on efficiency. I don't know if I've brought the name up before, but um, I think his name is James Howard Kunstler. He talks, and there's a book called The Geography of Nowhere, where he talks about the built landscape of America. Basically, almost every place resembles itself, is almost the same, because um, there's no dialogue, there's no um, conversation, there's no welcoming of the actual geography of a landscape. It's, it's more like we're imposing our, our ways, our ideas, our desires upon a particular place. And... I think beauty, that's not beauty. Beauty is to bring out the best of what's already present before us and to work with it. 
And I, um, he, you know, he references Haydn's uh, The Creation. I just also listened to um, Handel's Messiah the other week. And, and, you know, it's just like how beauty lifts up our hearts to something that's greater than ourselves. And I think when, you know, this conversation about dreaming in a new world and embracing intentional community from a Christian perspective, um, beauty will play such an important role. Like, I think so many people are, are, are living kind of in a very, you know, in, in ugly places in which they just kind of accepted it and welcomed it. I think of certain parts of Philadelphia where there's just trash everywhere on the streets and people are surrounded by that. And when, when is that, when, when is that, when that is what you see, you know, it's, it's easier just to kind of throw trash into the trash pile. Um, but when people are really working together to cultivate uh, a beautiful neighborhood, beautiful streets, um, planting trees and, and gardens and, uh, murals. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about Philadelphia is has, I think, the highest number of murals per capita than any other city. And there are these beautiful murals. And when you see them, your, your heart is lifted up and there's a beautiful message communicated. But I, I think our own home, homes and our built environment can really communicate something of that to other people. And, you know, it's like when somebody does really tend their own property well, um, it tends to be a reproach to those who don't, in my opinion. I mean, it's just kind of like when you see one property next to another and the other one's not really being cared for, it, it kind of like makes the contrast all the more. And, you know, I just, I guess it's, it's an important like reflection, I think for us is how do we create beautiful space in order to um, make people or, or invite people to cherish the world that we've been given. He says to treat um, the world around us with contempt is to treat the giver with contempt. And I think that's so true. You know, like if we receive something from somebody we love, like we'll cherish it, whether it's really of a lot of value or not. Um, even if it's just a card, like a parent receiving a beautiful card, like a handwritten card from their own child, like they'll cherish it. Um, and so it's the same, I think similar with God, like, wow, we've received, yeah, our, our bodies, this, and that's another thing, but our bodies, this world around us, other people, and gosh, let's let's cherish it, love it, respect it, and seek to, to draw out the best from it. And of course, we're not, you know, if we disrespect the creation, we're not just disrespecting God, of course, but we're also disrespecting the others around us. So like when you're talking about trash all over the place, what kind of um, message are we sending in such an environment about the dignity of the people who live there? The people who have to live in uh, areas that are ugly, that are full of trash, it is harder for them then to understand their dignity because of the way that the world is treated. And I think a lot of it stems from, in the modern world, a lack of a sense of ownership. And of course, ownership, a sense of ownership is not necessarily directly connected to uh, physically owning a place, but that we need to become people who have a feeling of ownership for our communities, our neighborhoods, a feeling of being invested in them. And then, yeah, seeing that beauty, um, I probably mentioned it somewhere on the in these podcasts before, but... C.S. Lewis talked about how if we see a forest of trees and we see it first and foremost as a source of lumber or anything else useful, that we are, we are on a, a dangerous path, that we are, are off, the, off the road to wisdom. Because the first thing we ought to see is the beauty and reality of the tree as the thing it is. And how beauty is not a use, like, it's not useful to see a tree as beautiful. It's a recognition of what it is in itself, essentially, and only secondarily as something useful. And so, you know, when Pope Francis is saying, without an appreciation of beauty, we will continue to destroy the world. Because if all we see is use, right. then everything's a thing to be used, to be thrown away. Other, our environment, other people, 
everything around us then is purely use value. Whereas beauty rises above that um, that cramped world in which everything is judged on how useful and efficient it might be for us. So that to respect the uh, in in Laudato Si he says that only uh, spirituality which recognizes the, the Creator, the Father of all. Can, can save our world from destruction. An example of, of that for me, Malcolm, um, was in college, I began to really develop a contemplative disposition, I would say, in life. And I was really encouraged to um, begin to approach the world with, with like an open awareness and open eyes um, and to take it in slowly and I began to experience the joy of that process, the process of going to like going from um, doing things purely for um, efficiency or for, for some kind of use to enjoying the things in and of themselves. And one, and one thing that actually changed for me was my experience of this walking trail that surrounded a reservoir not far from the, co- where the college where I attended. And most people, to be honest, most students would just run. It was like a two or three mile, it was like a three mile trail, I think. And most people would run around it. And it was a nice little run. It was a, you were in this beautiful area, it was surrounded by trees. Um, And that was what I used to do. But as I began to change my outlook and really my whole orientation toward life, um, I, I just began walking that trail. And the walking became such a beautiful and joyful experience, um, completely different from when I was running. When I was running, it was about like burning calories, staying in shape, and really getting to the end as much as possible and, and having a good workout and feeling good afterwards about it. But the walk was so much um, more of an experience, like doing it for the experience. Like each walk, like I was learning and just appreciating the world as I was encountering it, seeing the beauty of the trees, the experiencing the wind on my face, you know, looking over the water and and the ripples on the water, and even just recognizing the wildlife, the bird life, um, you know, everything, it was like, I began to recognize the, the true colors of the world. And I think this is something that is so important for this whole conversation is that we, we need to really, in order to appreciate beauty, appreciate the environments we live in, to, to desire a, a better world, we need to take the time to actually see the world that's before us and, and encounter it and experience it. Lest we just become like, you know, just trying to impose our own ideas on a world that we're, that we're not seeing. So I, I, I think that to me has really opened my eyes. And then I began to see as, I, as, as I've developed this kind of like slow pace and a way in which I'm like looking at the world around us and, and being in it, really just trying to inhabit and dwell in these spaces, it's like a vision comes to me or an insight comes to me of what could be here, you know, um, what could change or at least like recognizing, oh, there's trash that needs to like, why don't I just pick that up? You know, like, why do I just walk past that? And I'm, I'm not saying that I always pick up trash as I walk by, but now it's like, I can't just walk past it without thinking. It's like, wow, this is something beautiful. This shouldn't be here. And, you know, just wanting to appreciate things and places, but also seeing like what, what could be. And and I think that for me is like when there's a more of a built landscape, you know, in a built landscape, thinking about how things could be designed, how things could incorporate the world around them a little bit better. You know, I love the certain, modes of design that incorporate like the natural world into the built environment. To me, it's like, wow, like as Americans, as Christians, like let us, we need to slow down. Like slowing down to me seems to be so important to begin to recognize things and appreciate them and to value and cherish them. And then like, okay, how do we, how do we work with these beautiful gifts that are before us and the beautiful gifts that we are too, Uh, you know, I think that's so important. It's not just the outside world. It's like, whoa, like, what am I? And who are you? Like, we are these amazing masterpieces, like beautiful mysteries of God's creation. 
let's just take a moment to, to be here with this, you know, like be here with my, the mystery of my existence and the mystery of this world around me. Just the fact that anything is at all, you know, I think the more we, we slow down, a, a mystical reality can open up to us. Um, and the world becomes a little bit thinner. You know, there's that, I think it's an, it's kind of, um, a term used in Ireland, thin places, like they would recognize certain places as being like thin, um, kind of like a veil, a veil of heaven, like where, a place where heaven kind of meets earth, a place where you can encounter um, a transcendent reality more easily. And I think we do it, it in natural places, but I think we can contribute to that or we can discover those places a little bit more as we, um, I don't know, as, as we begin to appreciate it. Yes, and and like this whole you know, like talking about seeing properly, this whole first chapter uh, is about seeing properly, about about taking the time to look. And when you were saying about slowing down, I remember a funny uh, quote that I recently read about how someone will learn more about a botany from studying a single blade of grass than they will by the, by uh, racing through a wheat field. You know, um, y- you won't see anything if you're just running around like that obviously um but then yeah like like this this vision that can come if we are attentive and have our hearts opened and that's you know like a, in as we're recording this in the final days of advent here about being attentive to the coming of the lord or we'll miss it it will pass us by the the scriptures give us a warning that if we're not attentive if we're not waiting if we're not open that the lord will pass us by and if we want to avoid that risk then being open to everything around us because there is no sharp distinction between the sacred and the common god can speak to us through anything in life if we're attentive i think that that can be missed that like well you know we're attentive in prayer you know but that being attentive to the other things and people around us is a different concept but it's it can't be a different concept um because everything is full of the grandeur of god that can come through and not even like things that are classically beautiful you know like in nature maybe beautiful but like god can also speak to us through ugliness Mm -hmm. uh, at times even if like to surprise us to make us aware for instance that there's something wrong or to to change our our perception so that yes this whole you know because we you know pull towards the end of our discussing the first chapter here how are we going to see uh, differently as as Pope Francis is calling us to and I think you really bring up such a good point about um, listening you know as much as this chapter is a call to see or taking time to see and to reimagine and to dream, it also, I think it almost begins in a lot of ways with learning to listen again. And like you said, um, being attentive to the voice of the Lord that can speak to us through any circumstance. I mean, that is so true. It doesn't matter where we are, especially, um, you know, trying circumstances can be a place where we're most disposed to seeing beauty or to hearing God's voice. You know, I think about the great work that's being done among Catholic worker houses, you know, in the cities and um, people caring for the, the poor and like uh, the missionaries of charity, you know, like there's there's beauty in the brokenness of humanity and, and, and caring for souls, you know, immortal souls in whatever state they might find themselves. So um, I think that's that's a great that's a great point. It's like, wow, we need to um, yeah take time to just I, I think that's what Advent is so much about taking time to just like listen to to be aware to be and to be ready like you said to be ready to act to be ready to act and to go forward you know when the lord comes like the shepherds and the and the and the wise the wise men they received a sign a message and they acted on it and i think that's so crucial for this it's like okay they on some level like they were prepared for god's message and god's arrival on earth and when they received it um, I, partly it came to them because they were, they were worthy of it on some level, according to God, and they acted on it. You know, it's like, wow, 
So I think in certain ways, like that applies to all of us. Like God is, if we're ready, if we're attentive, he'll speak a word, he'll begin to reveal himself and invite us into something different. Invite us to take a step towards him, to, to leave behind something even in order to um, embrace what he's calling us to, like Abraham, you know, to go forth from our country, from our own kinsfolk to a land that I will show you. Um, I think that that word goes out to all of us when we're, when, when we really, you know, listen, when we're open to hearing it. Just on a, you know, like a, a symbolic level, you know, with the shepherds and, and the wise men, of course, in one sense, they also had to have had, you know, kind of an inner attentiveness, but that the shepherds were awake that night. They were keeping watch. And interestingly, of course, that was because, you know, they were, they were the poor. They had to be awake at night. They were, you know, shepherds were, you know, on the lowest levels of society and, and their duties kept them awake. And therefore they were there when all the, you know, probably the, the more well-to-do were asleep. And similarly with the wise men, that they had spent a whole lifetime watching this guy, being attentive. Even if they did not know exactly what was going to come, they were attentive for a sign. And, you know, many others might have seen it, but without that lifetime of attentiveness, it wouldn't have meant anything to them, the sign. So so that, you know, the, the I think the, the gospel story, of course, is using those kinds of attentiveness to point to that deeper kind of attention that we're called to have. And that's, as we move from the first chapter to the second, uh, in the second chapter, they're going to talk about discernment because, of course, when you are attentive and you see, you know, you'll see many things. But then comes discerning. You'll, you'll hear many things. Discerning rightly what is there that God is, is telling you to do. And because, you know, like you think about the difference that a piece of news in, in the New Testament account, the wise men receive news that a great king is going to be born and they immediately head off to do him homage. Herod hears the news, the same news, and all he can think about is protecting his own petty little kingdom, his own self-centered little interests. So like discerning then what to do with um, what is seen how to how to understand it, which is, you know, the second chapter, it, it, we won't have time today to get into any in-depth reading, but what interests me about the whole thing is that it's very, the second chapter is very Ignatian. Um, for Pope Francis being a Jesuit and schooled in the, in the spiritual exercises, it's very much about discerning spirits. He's going to talk a lot about how we can discern the voices that we hear, the good spirit, the bad spirit, how we can how we can judge those interior um, movements of the heart to discern where they are coming from. Yeah, just to, to close up there, Malcolm, with um, the second chapter, some of the the thoughts that you just raised and brought up about this theme of discernment. Um, I, I went to actually Jesuit schools uh, for high school and college, and so. I became uh, quite familiar with St. Ignatius and his approach to discernment. And it, it's become a huge part of my life. Um, but I guess one of the points that's brought up is that, you know, we at some point we do need to choose. We need to make decisions to act on certain things. And sometimes those decisions are going to draw us away from what we've known what um, is comfortable. I do, I do think like that is presented before us. God never forces anything upon us um, except for the circumstances in which we find ourselves. But in terms of how we will respond to the, the circumstances before us, like that's given to us and our free will, our free choice. And so discernment is playing such a key role kind of leading into action. Um, like, discerning God's will in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our life and preparing, I don't know, preparing ourselves, like taking those steps um, to, to be able to choose, choose wisely and choose truly in accordance with God's will. 
Choose in a way that's not always going to be popular or successful in the world's eyes. But um, I, I would say from my own experience, as I became aware of God's voice, like never ever has it, um, have I ever regretted a decision made for the Lord? Like I, I just, it, it's, it's incomprehensible to me to, to think about like that it would ever be a letdown. You know, and even though it's it's led me in a way that um, I would not have expected and that other people maybe would not see as uh, successful, um, that doesn't matter to me. You know, it, what matters now is discerning God's will and learning to be faithful and and trusting that he will provide the rest. Yeah, the amazing things that, that God can do if we open our hearts to him. I remember s- several of the of the episodes in the past when when talking to members of long established communities they're saying you know all it takes to start is a very little thing you don't shouldn't probably have grand plans just an openness to god and to one another to allow the lord to start working and you may eventually find yourself doing things being part of things you would have never dreamed of but that the first that first step then is that openness and then that discernment together um, I remember recently being told, like discernment is ultimately a communal um, reality because any one individual might go wrong, but in the community of the church, more generally, you know, like the church. That's why the church says the, the final say on like private revelation. But even in a more personal level, uh, seeking the guidance of friends who are seeking the Lord together is the foundation of Christian community, and. So as, as we as we conclude here in our next, uh, then we'll be discussing uh, more thoroughly what kind of principles Pope Francis is going to tell us to use in our discernment and, and what Pope Francis discerns in uh, the signs of our times that we should be aware of. So thanks again, uh, Peter, for joining me. It's great having you on as always. Thanks so much, Malcolm. Um, A merry, blessed Christmas to you and your family. And I look forward to uh, continuing on afterwards in the new year. Yes, you too. Thanks a lot. Thank you.